This is the Sea to Sky podcast with Alan, weaving through the issues in Sea to Sky country. Okay, welcome to another Sea to Sky podcast, and I'm sitting here with Pat Kelly, the president of Whistler Real Estate Co. Pat, thanks for uh, talking with us today. Thanks for having me on. For those that listen to the podcast we did recently, Sea to Sky uh, Real Estate, which would be part one, talking to Ron Mitchell over at uh, the Thornhill Group. Um, Angles and Bokers. Sorry, yeah, thanks for correction. Yeah, I, I keep forgetting. It's, it's recent. It's, yeah, it's, it's understandable. Recent, but, but, uh, they do like us to get that right. So okay, yes. Yeah. Angles um, and Bokers. Basically, there's there is some. I guess I guess the question on most people, most potential buyers, and most potential investors is the real estate, especially in the last couple of years, it's it's really ramped up. And you know, the question is, how high can it go? Well. Um, Certainly, we've seen some double-digit appreciation over since 2015, uh, and that that rate of appreciation appears to be slowing. Uh, as Ron mentioned, uh, the level of activity has slowed, but prices have continued to edge up. When you ask where can it go to, there's a couple of points or areas to think about. First of all, what's happening in Vancouver, and what is the average price in Vancouver value of transactions? what's going on with that real estate market uh, because a large percentage of our market comes from Vancouver and they will uh, value real estate in Whistler as compared to Vancouver. Um, so if a single family home in Vancouver is $3 million, a single family home in $2 million doesn't seem to be that out of line, whereas uh, if it was $5 million, uh, the Vancouver buyer might disappear. Ideally, in a perfect world, would be replaced by international buyers. Uh, the other like there's three things to think about. The other major thing to think about is what is our value relative to our peer group? And and by our peer group, I'm suggesting, you know, you have to look at places like Vail, uh, you have to look at Aspen, you have to look at Jackson Hole, you have to look at Sun Valley, uh, you have to look at other mountain recreational areas, which would be more comparable in terms of why people buy there. Aspen, I mean, if we're talking about Aspen, we're talking about even even higher price yeah. real estate. Yeah, you know, we're looking at prices here now uh, approaching $1,000 a foot Canadian. In places like Vale Village, uh, Beaver Creek, Basher Gulch, Aspen, uh, areas that are probably not as good a ski area as we are. Uh, but certainly very popular with the American marketplace. Uh, they're talking twelve, thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars U.S. So, relatively speaking, or if you're, I mean, other there's other areas to think about, like the waterfront in Hawaii. These are the places that the buyers uh, are are looking at as comparables, and they're saying, well, is that fair? Is there good value at a thousand dollars a foot in Whistler as compared to fifteen hundred dollars a foot in Aspen? So. Um, that's another kind of valuation tool that people will look at as relative value compared to comparable types of properties. And, and uh, one of the misconceptions or one of the things we challenges we get faced with with customers is they come up, often compare us to Vancouver. And really the motivation to buy in Vancouver and the factors that drive the framework of a real estate market in Vancouver are different than the ones that drive Whistler. And Whistler is more comparable to why people buy and sell in the mountain resorts or even in Big White and some peaks than it is why guy buys in Burnaby. Uh, so that's one, those, are, those are two things. The dollar, uh, obviously international financial issues yeah. are going to be a factor. Um, certainly we saw a much slower market when the dollar was par 
than we do today, and, and tourism as well. Right, and, and that's the other thing is I guess we get a different type of international buyer than Vancouver, where it's mainly mainland China, Hong Kong, Singapore, maybe perhaps Dubai, whereas we're getting more of the American and perhaps some UK and other European countries that are looking at Whistler. Yeah, I think we get a more worldly audience, It's a, it's uh, and I think they... They're recreational enthusiasts. They are buying for lifestyle. The investment side of it is secondary. Obviously, they want safety of capital and they want security when they're here. But really, what they're buying is is a brand or an experience for them and their life and their family. And that's the primary motivation in nine out of ten cases. The history of recreational real estate pretty attractive over the last five years, but. Uh, it is typically uh, an investment that is not very liquid. So when you do need to sell it, there's not necessarily a buyer right around the corner. So you have to understand that it, yeah. with recreational and resort real estate, is that it's not always going to sell the, the day after you put it on the market. Yeah. You need to be committed emotionally. Now, a lot of it's, that said, there's, like you'll, you look at listings in Whistler, and some of these really high-end homes, some of them can be uh, uh, listed for possibly for years. Some of them go pretty quick. I know that there, I think there was a $25 million chalet on Nina Lake uh, that was listed over the summer, and I think that, that went with It did not sell. Oh, it didn't sell. They took it off the market. Oh, I was uh, wondering well, that. it's an interesting process. It was auctioned, uh, and uh, my understanding is the transa- there wasn't a successful bid on the property, uh, but subsequent to that, the transaction did not occur. I think the issue there is, to, you know, you'd have to ask, was it worth $25 million? Because the successful bid was significantly lower. I'm, I'm kind of old school. Buyers determine value, not sellers. Right. Yes, but your point being some of these properties do sell very quickly. I think uh, to some extent um, the veil uh, acquisition of the mountain uh, has had an impact on um, credibility. Uh, I think it, it gives us a level of comfort to some investors that otherwise didn't know much about Whistler. Uh, and, and so they, of course, the more international buyers tend to be found in the higher, uh, higher. It's definitely higher raised prices. raised the the market uh, recognition among Americans. That's for sure. Oh sure, uh, there there's certainly more Americans that are aware of the place, and and I think given that Vale's uh, model is to sell ski passes to Americans and, and diversify where you can go to ski, uh, we're going to continually have more people be exposed to real estate here, and of course their points of value. Again, if you're from San Francisco, you think Vancouver's pretty cheap. Yeah. Uh, if you're from Miami, you think Vancouver's pretty cheap. If you're from New York, you think Vancouver's pretty cheap. Um, if you're from Surrey, you think Vancouver's very expensive. So yeah. I, I think you've got to, you know, where you're coming from determines a lot of how you view the value of an asset. Yeah. Uh, Worcester has a tremendous profile when you come here as a visitor. And I think sometimes we forget that is when you come here as a visitor, there aren't very many places in the world like this. And uh, for somebody that can afford it, they may see great value there, just like Waterfront in Vancouver. They might say, well, you may, you know, I see the Mona Lisa, you just see a painting. I'm prepared to pay for it. Yeah. So uh, I think sometimes we have to 
sort of think about what the perspective is from people coming here because I don't hear anybody that's ever been here say, boy, this isn't, didn't live up to its promise. It didn't, didn't, didn't live up to what I thought it was going to be. And so that drives people in here. And as real estate values have gone up in Vancouver, it's certainly pushed prices. Costs have pushed prices too, you know. It's pretty hard to build a house for under a thousand bucks, a really nice house for under a thousand bucks a foot now. So. Yeah. And now, of course, in the lower mainland, they brought in the speculators tax because they were, there was worried that they were creating a real estate uh, bubble. Do you see that? And there's been some talk about expanding that. Could that come to Whistler? And if it did, what do you think it would do to the market? Well, I'm not sure quite why the speculators tax was brought in. I, I don't know that it, it's so much as a speculators tax as a... As, as a, a vote getter? Uh, yeah, as a vote getter. I, you know, I, I, it was meant to address, you know, the challenges of providing affordable housing. And I, and I don't think that that's the solution. That being said, uh, the original architect of, of the policy, Tom Davidoff, was pretty clear that he didn't think it should be applied to resort areas. And and I think that given so much of our property as second homeowners, even with the, just the half a point tax that's going to be applied to Canadians, so everybody from Vancouver and West Vancouver that's been skiing here for 25 years and, and supporting this place would now have a half a point additional property tax yeah. on their assessed values. I think that that would be uh, viewed very negatively by certainly by property owners. Uh, for, for new purchasers, it's just another tax that has to go into. Uh, you know, we have tourism visitor fees in some locations. We have taxes already. We have school taxes. Now you've got a half point speculation tax uh, for Canadians and and whatever it is for internationals. And if that and were the property in, taxes here aren't low. They're no, they're, they're, they're not low. Uh, and, and so you'd as a buyer, you'd look at it and say, well, what's my total annual cost? Is that a negative as compared to other places, or a positive, or or is it something I really don't care about? It, would it have an impact on the, on the market sure, in the short term? I think a lot of buyers would get turned off. I think uh, there would be a lot of anger. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, buyers want to buy, sellers want to sell, and the market would adjust whatever discount buyers perceived needed to be done, and that's where we to would accommodate be the tax, uh, okay. to accommodate the tax. So um, at the end of the day, um, there would be some volatility for sure. And I expect it would be viewed negatively and be viewed as a discount. And, you know, that would impact values to some extent in a small way. But let's, again, the international portion of our marketplace is 20% uh, on, a, on, a, on a good year when the dollar is in the favor of international people. You take out the people that don't, you know, how many, how many transactions, in a, in a typical market in Whistler, we do 750 to 800 transactions a year. You're talking 100 transactions in the marketplace. Uh, you know, it's more than one factor that will determine. I, I think Whistler probably is more, the real estate market here is more exposed, I think, to um, the tourism experience becoming less positive than it is, or the dollar uh, would be, I think, more damaging to the international marketplace than perhaps a one point increase in the taxes you pay on your assessed value in the long run. Right, okay. uh, you know, certainly if the dollar went from 70 cents to 90 cents, I think that would impact returns in the hotels uh, because you wouldn't be doing the rental revenue because there wouldn't be as many people coming. Uh, if the quality of the service experience here, which is very high, were to deteriorate, those sort of things play into the, the why somebody wants to invest in this lifestyle. 
Yeah. And if it's not good, then those are probably more damaging and probably harder to fix. Yeah. Than than a half a point tax. Okay. So uh, I don't think it'll ever come here uh, unless there's a major change in, in the NDP thinking, uh, and they already backed off on the tax slightly. So uh, I think they realize it's incredibly unpopular with uh, Can- with Can- BC people, anyways. So I think it'd be hard. I'd be hard pressed to see it happening here. Yeah, that's usually the way it goes. As soon as it's not a vote getter. It's yeah. not a good idea. It's not a good idea, yeah. Exactly. Um, going a little further afield, you have offices in both Pemberton and Squamish. What are the type of buyers that are going into those markets? Well, I've always said that um, the Sea to Sky corridor is, is made up of three very distinct real estate markets. Uh, the Squamish market, which is a, a suburban market, is, is driven largely by Vancouver and internal you know, sort of the typical is you know jobs, interest rates, affordability, supply and demand, which is the basics of all all markets is supply and demand, and that's what's driven that market. And as the Vancouver market got more expensive, and access to Squamish improved because of the post Olympic Highway, it became very clear that Squamish was a very attractive location for somebody who was previously living in Maple Ridge or Langley, or, and so we saw a big uptick in, in interest in Squamish from Vancouver, yeah. uh, and, and, and is really changing the face of Squamish, and, and I think that's why you see the big urban residential developers who outside of Boza have never come to this community are developing there. So you've got Polygon, you've got Kingswood, you've got uh, Boza, you've got the waterfront, oceanfront, uh, First Nations has big plans. Um, tremendous amount of churning in the water right now and, and both current construction and things that are going to come down there. So there's a lot of housing going to get built down there going forward. It's driven prices up because the demand came faster than the supply. Well, if you if you look at some of those things, you know, if you look at a just say take a typical uh, one bedroom apartment and you compare it to North Van, compare it to say Lower Lonsdale, which is a pretty desirable area. Sure is. Right across from downtown Vancouver, just a C bus right away. Yeah. They're they're about equal. And at that point, you know, I, I love Squamish, used to live in Squamish, had a business in Squamish, but boy, you, you got to start to wonder. Uh, well, that's how all markets work, is if, if the marketplace, if the buyer perceives an area to be undervalued, then they're going to bring prices up, the demand will come in and it'll bring prices up. I mean, part of why prices have gone up a little bit is, of course, the investor market and the shortage of rental. So yeah. there's guys buying for rental purposes. And when you're speculating, in, if you were a speculator in Vancouver, remember, speculation and this is where I have a problem with speculation taxes, there's a difference between a real estate investor and a speculator. And the, the government of the day doesn't seem to really see the difference. A speculator is somebody who takes an unusual risk to make an unusual gain in a very short period of time. An investor is somebody that holds on to a property for 20 years and is looking to make an annual rate of return that exceeds his costs. A speculator takes a much higher level of risk and expects to make some money a lot faster. So Vancouver had some speculation going on, and that money's releasing equity. It's coming into other areas that they might think the same thing is going to happen. So, uh, you know, it, it, there was a lot of business started to come out of Vancouver uh, into Squamish. Mm-hmm. Um, now, those buyers aren't going to come up to Whistler because they're still looking to commute. They're still looking for the urban experience. They're looking for more services. Um, Squamish has all those things. Whistler is more of a, a, a luxury market. But they also, that yeah, there's no doubt all of that's true, but there's also the lack of product. There just isn't product to, to, to buy in, in uh, Whistler as there is in Squamish. Yeah, and that's, that's policy. You know, the... the uh, 
Squamish is going to open up. You know, if you if you take in if you if you come north of Britannia, and remembering that there is an owner in Britannia that wants to do something uh, for big those plans of Britannia, big plans of Britannia, uh, which is already under. You know, there's uh, eighty or ninety townhouses going to be planned and forty thousand of commercial space. There's a sign right on the highway there. You can read it if you want. That's looking for approvals. Yeah. Um, so you've got that. That's ultimately fifteen hundred homes. Uh, then you come into Squamish. Uh, and you've got everything that's already approved, the waterfront, the oceanfront. Uh, there's a project there called Reg Bridge, which is 400 units. Uh, there's all like, existing construction that's going on. And then you've got gas, which is moving through the approval process, the Garibaldi Squamish yeah. project, which is moving through the approval process and I think is a lot closer than most people think it is. Uh, or people that are paying attention know it is, but people that aren't paying attention might not realize that it's moving closer to approval every day. Yeah. Um, there's the Chima lands, there's First Nations holdings. Then you come to Whistler, which has basically said we want to protect our product and we are not going to allow a lot more new homes, saying uh, fee simple new homes. Uh, obviously, the WHA and restricted housing issue is the, the issue of the day right now. So that's going to happen. But as far as free market housing goes, um, there isn't going to be a lot of that. And uh, that's another thing that keeps prices up here is that most markets, if there was huge demand like we saw back a, a Some, year there'd ago. There'd be something you built. Something you would build. Somebody would come in and say, I got 40 acres. Let me do that. And, uh, you know, there'll be all these tax revenue that'll be given to the community and we'll have some amenities and a park and all these sort of things. And, and we've chosen to, instead to protect our natural environment and, and to control the growth here. And, you know, we made a choice. Yeah. The consequence of that choice was that prices don't fluctuate downwards very very yeah, easily. Yeah, something comes on the market, boy, you got to snap it up because mm-hmm. there just isn't much well, else say If it's within a price range, I think there's still, you know, there's still the, is this good value argument? Yeah. But... Uh, if it is good value, yeah, there's a buyer there for it. And, and that, that's reassuring to investors in the marketplace because they know that the downside risk of, you know, there's going to be a 1,500 new units located on the edge of the community isn't there. You're not going to be competing with new product. Uh, and so that's held values up to some extent. They hold values up as long as that policy is in place. And I, I don't see that changing. Yeah. I, I hadn't didn't hear anybody that was running for election recently saying, oh, by the way, I, we're going to take the handcuffs there, off there the was no, nobody OCP. Was a, there was no one who was in favor of raising the bed cap. <laughs> you know, and, and as somebody who's lived here for 38 years, I'd have to say any that has to be studied very closely because for every action, there's a reaction. And sometimes we don't know what they're going to be. And... Uh, well, you bring up Garibaldi Squamish, and which the, we interviewed Rod McLeod, for, who's uh, president of operations. You used to play basketball with Rod. Oh, so you okay? Because you know he lives down in Squamish. Yeah. A nice guy. Yeah, you're right. Garibaldi Squamish. They they feel certainly they're they're pretty close. They feel that they've got a pretty good development to offer. It's much scaled back from from the original Absolutely. plans. Yeah. Now, since you bring it up, where do you think if that does go ahead? Because we're talking about a lot of units there. It's scaled back, but still a lot of units. What do you think that's going to do to Whistler? Well, I don't think uh, Copper and Keystone affect Vale. Right. Whistler will have to be very, uh, maybe a bit more careful in its positioning, its marketing message of what it is and what it offers. We certainly have heard, you know, the idea is to get maybe fewer people here who spend more money. Go after uh, more of the destination. Yeah, and if, they, if, if Garibaldi Squamish uh, positions itself as, say, more of a regional big white... Which they are. That, that was actually direct from Rod. Then I don't think yeah. it changes anything. I think there's still guys that want to ski the big mountain. They want to go to the backcountry. They may want to go to the five-star restaurants. 
whatever brings people here. This is billions of dollars of investment that's been done over 40 years. It's not going to be threatened by, you know, five lift or six lift ski mountain yeah. with a residential development. You know, if I was Grouse or Cypress, I might be concerned. I think you're right. I think probably they, they're going to draw more skiers from... Yeah, yeah it'll bring more sure. people into the corridor. It might mean that somebody skis a, a day there and a day here. It's going to put a lot more traffic on the highway, uh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, just internal to Squamish. And then, of course, if you're trying to get to Whistler, you'll be going through that. So, But that's also... Britannia's going to do that. Just the growth in Squamish. Squamish is 20,000 people, whatever it is these days. You know, I remember reading a study saying that it'll be 40,000 by 2030. Yeah. So... The highway will become, I think, a challenge, or more of a challenge than it is already. Yeah. You know, if there's 1,500 houses in Britannia, what do you think that light's going to look like on Sunday afternoon? I mean, it's, it's already a traffic. It's, yeah. already, it's already a gong ship trying to get through there. So, yeah. you know, traffic and transportation, which I understand the communities are working on, to me is a big part of accessibility. And an accessibility to anywhere, other than maybe Jackson Hole, uh, is a key part of determining value. If it's really hard to get somewhere. That makes you know people think a little bit more about values and do I really want to do that as compared to I mean one of the reasons Whistler has been very successful is that a large number of our skiers and a large number of real estate buyers live within an hour and a half rubber tire time. Yeah, that's a huge deal. Now it's a small population group. There's four million people between Vancouver and Seattle, of which we draw our skiers from predominantly for for skiing, and then the tourist base. But like in Colorado, they have 50 million people to draw on. Yeah. They're within three or four hours. And we've always, from a real estate perspective, we've, we've always sort of said, you know, within four hours. Now, would people buying in gas commute up to Whistler? Or gas, I've got to stop using that. I know they don't like it. Yeah. Uh, Garibaldi, Squamish, would they come up to Whistler and day traffic, day ski? I don't know. Would those two mountains become part of a package? I don't know. I think those are things yet to be seen. You know, I understand there's a pretty serious bike park as part of their plans you know now you've got the best bike park in the world and another bike park and we can ex- a totally different experience and in the summer it's a pretty beautiful spot up by cat lake that's pretty nice up there yeah uh, so you know i think you're offering overall the cedar side quarter becomes more diverse offers more choices might bring more people you may see synergy rather than one taking business away from the other you may see more synergy from a real estate point of view, that's uh, obviously more supply. Uh, we are now seeing more so today than we saw, say, 10 years ago. We're actually seeing people who are living in Pemberton and coming down and day skiing here. So they're looking at Pemberton as an area to, you know, not just live, but a different experience, but close enough to the mountain. It's only 25 minutes. I've been driving it for 20 years. Well, now there, there's the advantage in Pemberton that with the increased traffic south of Whistler, if you're in Pemberton, you don't have to deal with that. You're you're north and you're just coming south. To More Whistler. so than it used to be, but you're well, uh, yeah. Going south is is certainly on a weekend harder than going north, yeah. and uh, and the traffic as Pemberton has as Pemberton has grown, um, it has increased, and so we you certainly notice uh, you know longer lines of traffic uh, as we uh, as Pemberton has developed, and there's lots of new development going on there. Um, so we're going to see growth on, on both communities on, on either side of Whistler. Um, Pemberton right now, there's um, one, two, three, three 
two new projects going up, a third one coming called Elevate Townhouses. There's a couple of single-family subdivisions. It's still the cheapest product in the valley, in the corridor. Yeah. I mean, you buy a lot there for under $300,000. A, a good family townhome is probably like six fifty dollars and up. Uh, single-family homes, good single-family homes are, you know, under a million dollars, which you can't find in Squamish or Whistler. Yeah, that, if you're going to buy single-family, that's pretty much it. it. Yeah, and, and, you know, the town is, is you know, it's, people forget that, that it's a town of 1,800 people or 2,000 village. People. It's a village, and it has that village charm. It has beautiful views. It, it, it's, it's not trying to be anything other than what they, it is. They, they actually have a cafe with a pony hitch. That, yeah. that people use. Yeah, that in the summertime, the guys ride their horses there to get coffee. But uh, it's a different character again, and a lot of people that, that work here live there. Um, I think there's probably more people living in Pemberton that work in Whistler than perhaps live in Squamish now, although there is significant traffic up the highway. Uh, so to me, that they, they work... I mean, I used to say that if uh, Whistler gets a cold, Squamish and Whistler, uh, Pemberton sneeze. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's still some truth to that um, because there is a, a big interrelationship between the three communities. Uh, and uh, sometimes comparative value, you know, people look at Squamish and they say, okay, it's 600 bucks a foot or $700 a square foot in Squamish. It's $500 a foot in Pemberton. It's $1,000 a foot in Whistler. And they look at that and say, okay, well, you know, what, what fits my lifestyle? What do I want to do? Uh, the Pemberton lifestyle is, is a very relaxed, very low-key, very chill kind of place and wants to maintain that. Squamish is, has been far more aggressive in development and, and, you know, we're seeing some really cool things starting to happen down in Squamish and businesses that are starting down there. Uh, but it does seem like it's... Worcester, Worcester was the magnet, but not yeah. anymore. I think they're, I think both those communities are establishing their own identities and becoming places to live for reasons other than, hey, they're close to Whistler. But they, they're both attracting, it seems, the same market. They're attracting young families. Yes. And, I, and that's the affordability issue. Uh, and, is, and it is the unit that we're looking for, and again, this is just my own perception, so tell me if I'm wrong, is that townhomes seem to be the number one product that, that they want. They can't afford a single-family home, an apartment, a condo apartment's too small. Not always, but most of the time. It's a starter. It's usually a couple starter, a condo apartment. Okay. Uh, townhouse is certainly the way, you know, that's the predominant thing, and, and it has been now for it's been increasing for 30 years, is that medium density development because of its efficiencies when it comes to construction, uh, because of its efficiencies in terms of use of public services. It's a predominant form and planners like it because it's, you know, smart growth. But, and I think our culture to some extent, um, it's changed. People, it's changed. The, the idea of having this, the, the yeah. white picket fence in a, in a backyard is absolutely is changed. Uh, people are not as interested in, in the time that is, has to be invested in that kind of ownership. Uh, I have that kind of house. I'm fortunate enough to have bought it a long time ago. Uh, you know, but I, I'm, every weekend I'm cutting the lawn and, and uh, you know, my wife's gardening and, and you know, we're, we're doing work and maintenance. And, you can, yeah, I guess if you're fortunate enough, you can pay for that. Uh, but when you live in an apartment or a condo or a townhouse, that's all kind of looked after for you. And so when you have your time off from work, and we're all working pretty hard these days, yeah. you can get on your bike, you can go skiing. Uh, you don't have to make that choice because somebody else is looking after that through your strategy. So um, there's there's both the, the lifestyle issues associated with with condominium and townhouse living, and you're right, affordability. Uh, and people are, are choosing by necessity or, or by lifestyle to live in smaller, more efficient type of places. They're understanding that that's the reality 
you know, when people say to me, we want more affordable housing, we want a single family house, I said, you do understand that it's hard to deliver that just on cost, let alone, you know, what Let alone part, the space to put it. Yeah, the space to put it. You know, is it the most efficient use of land to have four, four houses per acre when you could have 40 houses per acre, which do you think is going to be more cost effective? To develop or thirty or fifteen houses per acre, yeah. uh, units per acre. So uh, I think it's um, you know the the smaller unit, the more efficient unit, the 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 uh, lock it up and walk away if you want to for the weekend kind of thing uh, is more attractive to the value system that uh, potentially millennials uh, are interested in and and Gen Xers and Gen Ys and all that. Yeah, the younger group who are you know don't want to miss anything uh, because they have to paint the bathroom. There are a lot of when I grew up. Lawn. When I grew up, everybody was a handyman. Everybody could fix something. Everybody fixed their own stuff. Everybody went to the do-it-yourself. Um, I'm not sure there's that many. You know, I don't see it in my kids. You know, I want to learn how to. You know, hey, you want to learn how to change a tire? No. No. No, I don't want to do that. Uh, you know, do you want to? I want to, to update my Instagram. I want to update my Instagram. I got to look at. Things. No, I. You know, you want to learn how to make build a fence? No. Hey, you help me paint the bedroom? No. You know, that's. We'll hire somebody to do that. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't think there'll be any uh, lack of more townhouse developments going forward. I, I think that that's uh, the future, quite yeah. frankly, uh, particularly in urban areas, yeah. in any kind of remotely urban area. Uh, and it's the only way you're going to, by increasing, increasing density on sites, it's the only way you're going to be able to create or keep some sense of affordability anyways. Now, how big do you think Pemberton can, could, could get? Because as you say, they're... they're uh, they're, uh, they're a village, they've got a strong farming community, they've got uh, a, a ranching background. I mean, you know, there's still a lot of hobby farms up there. It's still a big part of the industry there. Mm. But again, you know, demand. So there are some projects going in there. I well, mean, there's certainly desire, you know. I mean, we, over the years, uh, my partner, my ex-partner and I used to laugh about the number of people who come in and say, hey, could I just buy one of the, you know, there's lots of land here, like, can I just buy something and build on it? And you say, well, no. Um, you know, if it had a dollar for that, neither of us would still be realtors. Um, yeah. uh, you know, I think in, in Pemberton, there's lots of interest in the Pemberton area. Um, but one of the, whereas we have a, a, a conscious, consciously made decision to control growth in Whistler, in Pemberton, it's controlled by the Agricultural Land Reserve, which is basically all of the, the um, base land is outside of the village itself, is Agricultural Land Reserve doesn't allow residential development. Yeah. Because of the power of that organization, I doubt that will ever change. I mean, yeah, the protection goes, of food lands. That goes lands. back to an old, the, the first NDP government in the in the early to mid seventies that brought that in. Yeah. And I know that some some land in the Lower Mainland's been taken out of the Richmond. ALR, but it's in Richmond. In it's, Richmond. A, it's a very difficult process. You have to show real need. Uh, and I don't think an NDP government is certainly going to ever relax that, although there's been some discussion of parcel size and you know that sort of thing. But um, So that's a huge constraint in Pemberton, is that the easily developable land is basically ALR uh, until you get to Mount Curry. Past Mount Curry, there's some opportunity, but that's not part of the village of Pemberton. That's part of the SLRD. So for the village of Pemberton, really, their development is is kind of constrained by that government policy to hillsides. So you see development uh, currently at what's called Sunstone and Pemberton Ridge, which is just outside of town. There's a significant single family and townhouse development going in there. Uh, you see development up on what's known as um, the Benchlands, yeah. uh, which is uh, single family. Uh, and you see development in and around the immediate area of the village. So 
that's another area that yes, there's huge demand, but to to satisfy it is going to be more expensive. Uh, and I don't expect that prices there will soften dramatically unless there's a huge increase in housing in Whistler, affordable housing in Whistler, because the primary market for Pemberton is young families, kids. Uh, they just can't be in Whistler, but want to and, and, and work in Whistler. Yeah. You know, and so if, if Chequamus is going to add a thousand units over. Between if WHA and the municipality are going to add a thousand units between private and, and their public initiatives, then that might have some impact on desire. You know, people wanting to be in in Pemberton. I haven't. You know, if there's an option in Whistler that works, most people prefer to be in Whistler. Yeah. Just travel, sure, travel alone. So you know that will have an impact, and, and that's one of those examples where you know Whistler gets does something and it's going to impact what may happen in Pemberton. Uh, it may not, but I think history would say that, yeah, you know, when Checkham was crossing at Rainbow went in, it really kind of impacted the Pemberton real estate market for a while. Now, what about going outside of the, these various municipalities? You you, taught, you touched on SLRD. You know, do you see developments going in at, say, the Callahan or, like you say, around Mount Curry, north of Pemberton? Or some of the other areas, just in the entire quarter between well, here and Well, uh, no, because of the SLRD's regional uh, growth strategy, which doesn't allow kind of no development up and down the highway. They want development in and so around the So we're not going to see centers. any more Black Tusk villages? I don't think so. No. That's certainly not the policy I'm seeing out there. Uh, I think, you you know, the one unknown is, is the direction of First Nations. Um, they have significant assets throughout the quarter, both Squamish Nation and Lillooet Nation. Uh, I think they're going to want to monetize that at some point. Uh, certainly, the Memorandum of Understanding in Whistler has recognized that that's going to happen. Uh, the recent land switch between uh, the property um, in Emerald here and Cadenwood mm-hmm. gives them some development rights that heretofore I don't know that we thought were going to happen. Uh, they're developing gas stations, you know, one in Function, one in Mount Curry. Uh, they put up a learning center. That's a little what, guys. Um, they have other holdings that I think uh, we're not clear on what they're going to be. Um, and certainly down in Squamish, they also have a significant piece of land uh, north of Squamish uh, that they have a master plan for and they're working through approvals on. So they could, of course, and that, and that would also f- could impact the Callahan because that is one of their uh, hereditary lands. And yeah. it's an area they have designated in the past as an area that they would like to develop. But they haven't committed to anything yet and it's a long approval process. Yeah. Uh, and just because you want to do it doesn't mean that you don't have to go through the steps associated with doing it. And putting servicing in and, uh, you know, nobody's going with water tanks and stuff fields anymore that's not you know that was the 70s or the 60s up here is you know you could have a septic field but most government jurisdictions are not going to approve that sort of thing so you're going to have to show proper servicing and that's not cheap I mean you know the cost of construction now uh, being what it is um, is one of those and then I, you add building in a remote area on top of it all yeah you know cost of, cost of labor cost of materials cost of construction cost of approval all of these things um, are you know your desire to do them the market has to support it so if you can't get 500 bucks a foot if it costs you 500 bucks a foot and you're supposed to make a profit you know and you can't get 600 a foot or whatever number you feel is a reasonable profit for the risk you're taking the project isn't going to happen so the market has to be there for that and and the market for uh, squamish is 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 driven by economic you know basic you know the economics we all understand my job how much i make 
interest rates, what can I afford? The market for Pemberton is much the same. It's driven by how much can I make, what are interest rates at, what's it cost me to buy, can I, can I afford it? Yeah. Um, the market in Whistler isn't determined by any of those. It's determined by wealth. It's, it's, a, it's a market, for lack of a better way of putting it, it's, a, it's the one percenters market. And they make their decisions not based on how much money they earn, or, or what interest rates are out. That's, those are interesting. They're more concerned about safety of capital. Or are they getting good value? Is this, um, you know, the world factors. So uh, that's why we saw in 2008, 2009, things really slowed down because, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of people who were de-wealthed during yeah. that period. And it creates, not only are they losing money, but they're nervous. It's hard to make decisions when you're not confident, and and so uh, you know I think Whistler will be impacted more by that sort of thing. Some of that happened in Vancouver over the last little while. Is that the what was driving the real estate market had nothing to do with the city of Vancouver. It had to do with factors from outside of Vancouver, and some of that you know. And this message was lost. Everybody was blaming, oh, the mainland Chinese, the mainland Chinese. They're getting you know they're taking money out of Vancouver, out of their country for whatever reason. What nobody really picked up on was Vancouver was very cheap by world-class city standards, yeah. and money flows to where they see they think there's hidden value, and, and that drives it to some extent. So, uh, you know, I think it's very exciting times for this quarter. I think the you know back when the Olympics happened, you know everybody's oh the two billion dollar highway, well that was done for a reason. It was to make this area more accessible and to bring more people into it and to enjoy it and, and to generate more revenue and GDP from all of that. And I don't think you can turn that around and go another way anymore. I, I think we're now looking at how you manage it and yeah. manage it effectively so that you're not um, deteriorating, diluting the we, promises we invite, we made. We invited the world here and, and they came. And, and they came and, and when they came they said, wow, this is really fantastic. Uh, and it's so much better than other places that I've been. And the consequence of that is that values here have risen to the levels of a, where we're equivalent with our peers. Uh, we're not a discount to world-class resorts or world-class areas anymore. And I, I, I just want to, before we wrap up, I just want to, since we brought it back to Whistler, we've sort of come full circle here. Um, some of the A-frames and the Gothic arches that still exist in Alpine and Emerald, are those basically based on land value? Are they, are they done? I mean, are they... Is it, are they done? Well, I mean, <laughs> what I'm saying is, you know, Alpine and Emerald are sort of seen as the local subdivision. Mm-hmm. But, of course, you know, as land values rise... Okay, two parts. Are we just going to see all those older cabins eradicated in in favor of sort of, you know, larger, probably destination or skier cabins, not local homeowners? Or are we going to see alternative, perhaps, rezoning and see townhomes go into those subdivisions? Well, I think the infill housing policy of the municipality was a, a move in that direction, increasing density on single-family lots. But again, you run into, you know, how much free market stuff is involved. Most of that infill was for restricted. Right? Yeah. yeah. It, that, no, I would say no. I think those will stay as single family lots. There will obviously be some attempt to get higher usage out of them. Uh, the infill housing program being the current one. Right. Um, will all of those, you know, when you're paying a million dollars for basically a 40-year-old house, remember, 
40-year-old houses aren't supposed to last 100 years. I mean, wood frame is not intended to last for 200 well, years. Well, you, you say that, but you know, the, you know, 100 years ago or over 100 years ago, all those catalog homes that the railway work, workers oh, bought still around. That, yeah. that are down in Strathcona and Vancouver. The Vancouver Special, the Vancouver but, Specials, yeah. Well, those were Vancouver Specials. Vancouver Specials came later. You know, the old ones, the wood ones that they bought in oh, Calic yeah, and they yeah, shipped yeah. out, the, they were catalog homes. Of course, they built things to last back then, even when they weren't supposed to last. So, you, you yeah, the, the idea of, of, of functional obsolescence in your product it wasn't really a they thing in the fifties yeah. and sixties. Now, you know, if your cell phone lasts more than two years, you think you've got a bonus. Yeah, um, I, I don't think so, only because of the OCP. Yeah, um, but you, nobody's going to buy a forty-year-old right. place with the two bedrooms on it for a million bucks. Unless they're they're buying it for land value, they'll buy it for land value. So at some point they're going to say, "I need to have a house on here that's sort of supportive of the formula." Uh, you know, I can't have a hundred thousand dollars worth of improvements on a million dollar piece of property. I need to redevelop. So over time, yeah, I, I think you're going to find that as people sell those properties, um, and, and why people own them or, or sell them. Some people own them because they still like that kind of image. Um, but I think as new people, as they change for either death or they want to take their equity out of Whistler, they're no longer coming here. They don't need the rental income that's being generated and they want to do something else. Yeah, I think you're going to see some of those, unless we designate them as heritage houses. Um, you That'd know, be a tough sell, I you think. Know, the, well, the mushroom house, well, maybe the mushroom, mushroom house should ha- be designated But that's not even the original house. mushroom house. Uh, yeah, uh, and, and Zoob's other house, which was across the street, the Willie Mind, maybe yeah. those should be designated as heritage houses, I don't know. Uh, and, you know, should we take uh, some of the little A-frames that were built back in 1967 and say, well, that's a heritage house, you can never change. I think the owner would be quite concerned yeah. about that, unless you're giving them a break on taxes as well. But, yeah, I think that the, the normal process of this market, as we continue to become exposed to the world through Vales marketing, through our own marketing, uh, through social media awareness, is going to cause that transition of those older homes being replaced by bigger, newer homes. You know, that is particularly an issue because there is no other place to go. You know, you can't buy a lot. There are no, other than Cadenwood and a few lots over at Stonebridge, where do you buy a lot? Yeah, you're buying one of those old A-frames and you're tearing it down. Yeah, and I haven't heard anything coming out of the uh, the Muni office suggesting, oh, we're going to build a new single-family subdivision. Although there was an A-frame that sold uh, just across the highway here over at Nessers, and it was it was heavily remodeled, and uh, you know I guess they were selling it as you know this is your house, you know buy this, it's it's nice remodeled. And they were selling it for well, million the, four. I don't know what they got. But they I, had yeah, I don't know either. I, you know I, I'm not as active in the sales side of things as Ron is. So everybody takes a different viewpoint. And when you buy an older place, you take a look at what what we call the bones of the house, yeah, and say, well, what can we actually do with this, or should we just level it? And maybe that was a house that actually had a very good foundation, was good structurally, and they didn't want to pump a million dollars into improvements. They just wanted to, you know, put some lipstick on it, modernize some of the things, uh, and make it a nice, cute, simple to look after, not a huge investment. Everybody has a different agenda on that. Um, You know, not everybody wants a four, you know, thirty-five hundred square foot four bedroom with a theater and a wine room type of home. Yeah. Uh, some people have a simpler simpler taste, simpler expectations. And in that case, of course, Nestor's great location, right? You can walk to the village. Yeah. And so we say, well, we've got a million four. We can, you know, we buy it for, uh, or we they probably paid $800,000 for it when they the sellers bought it, or maybe less. 
and they put a couple hundred grand into it and you know made it perfect so it can last another 40 years. Well, I personally would rather live in that than a, what a million four might buy you in a townhouse today because it's going to be smaller and it's not going to be as well located. So everything becomes a matter of personal choice yeah. and how you want to live. So unfortunately, I do think some of the some of those uh, older places are probably going to disappear over the next decade, uh, I would think, uh, as determined by the economy, which yeah. is sad to see. Uh, you know, I used to party in a lot of those houses <laughs> back in the 80s, but, I, you know, it's like going into a tamarisk unit, right? So, oh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> back in the day. Well, back in the day. Back in the day. That's that's uh, the way of the world. All yeah. things Yeah, all things, things change. change. Things yeah. change and things evolve. And, and um, I think the the issue in the real estate market is we have to recognize that, is that things change. Um, the market here is, is probably being one of the best markets to have an investment in in the long run uh, over the last 35 years on the West Coast. Um, Vancouver's good, but this has been just as good uh, or perhaps better. Uh, and uh, that the future for Whistler looks pretty bright. That's um, not to say that there won't be some short-term pain. Uh, or some problems and challenges to overcome. But Whistler, in my experience, has always been exceptional at, at addressing a challenge, not ignoring it, and coming up with a solution. And it may not happen as fast as some people would like, but we do solve it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at one point, nobody had what we had for, for dealing with uh, uh, people, residents. Nobody yeah. had what we had in the entire country. In You're talking America. about the WHA? WHA. Nobody had that. There's other communities wishing they could do what we've done. So, Well, Vancouver and Squamish are both talking about They're trying to do it, but they don't have this piece of land. you got to have land. And, and because uh, when you build... Well, Squamish does, but not as much as people think. Not as much as they have. And, and, you know, and you've got three components to create affordable housing. Land, construction cost, and approval process. If you can control those three. But I don't know how you can... I mean, one of them you can't control, which is construction cost. I mean, it's, there's yeah. no... No discount for construction costs. So, uh, and land is unfortunately, if you buy it in the free market, is determined by you know by buyers. And if they say it's worth a million dollars, you can't say, well, I, I should be able to buy it for five hundred thousand. You know, it's worth a million dollars. That's uh, that's the thing. So, uh, lots of opportunity. Um, uh, I think transportation. To me, transportation is going to be a big, big issue going forward. Um, I think that's one that has to be addressed. But uh, Squamish and Pemberton are going to continue to grow. Whistler's going to grow at a much slower rate. And I think you'll see more renovation and evolution here than new. Yeah. You know, uh, like Whistler Village Sports selling to a Seattle operator. I think there will be some loss of the local component um, just by cost, by numbers. You know, if somebody else is prepared to pay for it, you can't preserve it. I mean, because no, you can't. I mean, people, you can try. People, people are running a business to make to make a dollar. I mean, yes, we love, we all love local businesses, but at the end of the day, uh, yeah. you're, you're not a charity. You're not. You know, uh, as, as I have a commercial real estate background, and you know, people are always saying to me, sort of, well, you know, what can we do to make rents affordable in Whistler? And I guess the answer is build more, more affordable. Build more commercial real estate it would be build more commercial real estate, or stop being so damn good at. at convincing people to come here yeah. because then you know business wouldn't be good and tenants couldn't pay the rents that are that are being charged um, you know people don't lose money intentionally so clearly the kind of uh, revenues that can be generated in commercial space support the rents or they wouldn't stay where they're at and and so you know unfortunately there isn't any way to short of a taxpayer wanting to subsidize commercial space 
which I'm, I'm not, you know, that's an interesting policy discussion. Uh, who, who, who's lucky enough to be subsidized by the taxpayer that, and have that's, a store? That's not going to be a poke getter. I can, <laughs> I can pretty much guarantee it. Well, I don't know about that, but, you know, I, I mean, I certainly appreciate the need for local artisans and local business people to have a place to expose themselves to this incredible tourist money machine or, you know, revenue possibility that and creating something to do that. But signing leases with people for five years at some sort of rate that's below market, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how I would feel that as, you know, does, is somebody I'm competing with going to be in that location subsidized by taxpayer and I'm paying full market? I, you know, I, I'd have a problem with that. That's uh, a tough, tough formula to work. Well, I mean, I, you know, we've, you talk about affordability, which is an issue. I mean, we when we were selling Chequamish Crossing, I believe, and don't I'm, don't get mad at me if this is wrong, but I think we were selling for about two fifty a foot. Okay, and that's below construction cost today. So if in fact there's going to be some some for sale housing at Chequamish going forward, or ownership type housing, uh, not just rental, it, it's not going to be two fifty a foot. Well, it shouldn't be. Maybe that's a better way of putting it. It shouldn't be two fifty a foot because it costs three hundred dollars a foot to produce or more. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I'm not sure that's the intent. We can only be as a, you know so affordable, uh, short of, of of making a cautious decision as a community to start subsidizing that sort of thing. And I'm not sure taxpayers. You know, again, do you subsidize that? Well, that and then you're getting into the W, and that's that's an ongoing problem with the WHA is that and you know you touch on it, but we could do a whole other podcast on that. Is that for exactly that point? It's we want to create affordable housing for purchase. However, you know there's just there's just certain hard costs that you can't overcome. It's just going to cost you know three four hundred dollars a square foot. And I mean, okay, same if, if, if you're not going to if you're not going to make any money off it, fine. You sell it. The cost is still going to cost a lot of money yeah. for someone to buy. People ask about you know why rents are where they're at, you know, residential rents are where yeah. they're at. Well, it's a function of the capital cost to some extent. Yes, it's what the market will bear. I get that. Um, but there's also, you know, I don't know what rents are in WHA right now, but, you know, back in the day they were buck seventy-five a foot. Well, Vancouver's two, $3 a foot. You know, I, I mean, we're a long way from what market is already, and we're not, we're not getting any closer to it, and yet the taxpayer is paying for all of that or, or subsidizing that to some extent. Yeah. If, there's, if it's below market, then somehow market's not driving value. Uh, that means it's got to, taxpayers involved somehow um, through government, yeah. uh, which is fine. It's Again, it's a choice you make. It's fine if it's a choice you made. Uh, just understand what the consequence is. So you can't, can't change the fact it costs $300 a foot to build it. Yeah. And the land costs something. I mean, even because we're fortunate enough to have some cost, at, some land at no cost. Uh, it's not at no cost. I mean, we still have to pay for something for it. But if it's used for certain purposes, it's less than if we sell it as market. So, well, lots to talk about. We could, like I say, we could, we, we're getting into WHA now and oh. uh, subsidized housing, which is, uh, like I say, a whole other podcast. I think when you live in Worcester, you you uh, you can bounce from topic to topic fairly quickly and. Uh, uh, you're right, real estate has always been something that's on everybody's mind, um, whether you've got it, whether you want to have it, or, or whether you're trying to get rid of it. Uh, you know, everybody wants, you know, what's what's going on out there. And I, and I think for for the patient long-term investor, the future is extremely bright. Um, I think the, as, as has been stated, uh, the market is uh, not as active as it was uh, a year ago. Yeah. But there's lots of buyers out there still. And uh, as long as you're working with somebody who's, you know, full-time professional and, 
engaged in their business, uh, you're going to be successful in achieving whatever your real estate goal is. Um, now and going forward. Right. I, I don't see a lot of downside right. going forward. Uh, Okay, Pat. Well, thanks for uh, talking with no us. Problem. And uh, wealth of information. I hope perhaps maybe maybe a few months from now we can, uh, can sure. have another talk. And we uh, we, the, we uh, certainly uh, try to provide uh, information to the marketplace. Uh, I know sometimes <laughs> people think the industry holds all the data to themselves, but I don't think that's accurate. I mean, anybody wants to know what's going on, they just have to ask. There you have it. Okay. And this has been See Sky Podcast. This is the Sea to Sky podcast. If you have a comment or story ideas, please check out our website at seataskypodcast.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Sea to Sky Podcast. Thank you for clicking us on 